the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Ring of Truth with our pastor and teacher, Dan Sexton, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City. Please join Pastor Dan as he teaches through God's Word. They have removed their hearts far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the commandment of men. They honor God with their mouths, but the Lord says their hearts are far from me. You know, it's easy to say, I love God or I love Jesus. And your heart, you can say that, and your heart's a million miles away from him. And that's what they were doing. It was just this outward facade, but their hearts were a million miles away. And God looks on the heart. God knows the heart. He sees the heart. Today, Pastor Dan reminds us that Jesus doesn't look at how good we may present yourself to be. No. He looks into your heart and your mind to see if your inner self, the real you, is truly matching up with the self you show to others. It doesn't matter how good you think you are or how well you think you fooled those around you because the Lord knows your innermost self. And Pastor Dan says that you should be honoring God with your heart as well as with your words and actions. Consider this today and get right with God. And now open your Bibles to the book of Isaiah chapter 29 as we join Pastor Dan for today's edition of Ring of Truth. Spiritual blindness and spiritual, a spiritual stupor is the result of refusing to listen. And so God then sends that stupor upon a person's life. We talk about uh, a revival. We talk about a spiritual awakening. What that is, is when the Holy Spirit now awakens believers who are in a stupor, who, are, who have spiritual blindness, who are, who are uh, spiritually asleep, because at some point in the past, they stopped listening to God's word. They stopped keeping his commands. They weren't interested in the things of God anymore. And so God put this stupor upon them. And then a spiritual awakening is now when the Holy Spirit awakens a person or awakens a congregation or awakens churches in an area, in a community. Now, where now, now they're alive to the things of God. Now they're awake to the things of God. Now they're tuned in, and they're interested, and they're responding to it. They're not asleep anymore spiritually. Look at verse 11 again. This is what they're doing. The whole vision has become to you like the words of a book that is sealed. Not that it is a book that is sealed. They treat the Bible like, like it's a book that is sealed, which men delivered to, to those who are literate, those who should know how to read the Bible and interpret the Bible. And they say, read this, please. So this is probably the priests. Read this, please. And he says, oh, I can't, for it's sealed. And then the book is delivered to one who is illiterate, saying, read this, please. And he says, oh, I, I'm, not, 
I'm not literate. And so you have two groups here. There's, there's those who should be able to read and understand the Bible, but they say, well, it's a sealed book. What does that mean? They're saying, well, you can't really understand it. You can't really know what it means. And so there's no point trying to understand it. They don't, they don't even attempt to open the book and understand it and make sense of it. They just say, well, hey, it's a sealed book, so there's no point trying, and they don't try. And then those in verse 12, those who are described as illiterate, they say, well, I'm illiterate. I can't, I can't read it. So these are the ones that would say, well, hey, I'm, I'm no theologian. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't go to seminary. I don't, I don't know what it means. And at the same time, they don't try to find someone who does know what it means and ask that person to explain it to them. The, the point here is both of these groups are just making excuses. They're just making excuses. They're just saying, oh, it's too hard to understand. Can't make sense of it. There's no, no use trying. There's no use bothering. And it reminds me, uh, if you want to turn to Matthew 11, verse 16, it reminds me of something that Jesus said to the religious leaders in his day. Matthew chapter 11, verse 16, Jesus says, But to what shall I liken this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to their companions and saying, well, we played the flute for you, and you didn't dance. And we mourned to you, and you didn't lament. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they said of John, Well, he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they said, Well, look, he's a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is justified by her children. They said of John, because he didn't eat or drink, they said, well, he, he's got a demon. He can't be from God. If he doesn't eat and drink, he's got a, he can't be from God. Then Jesus comes along. He does eat and drink. And they say, well, he can't be from God either because he eats so much and he drinks so much. In other words, nothing makes them happy. Right? The earlier part where it talks about the, the kids playing the flute, hey, we, we played a happy song and you didn't dance. We played a sad song and you didn't lament. There's nothing that makes you happy. There's nothing that you accept or agree with. You're just, what they're doing is they're just making excuses and just making an excuse to dismiss John and an excuse to dismiss Jesus. And in Isaiah's day, people were making excuses as well, and they were making excuses about the Word of God, and it's too hard to understand. There's no reason to even try. And at the same time, what they thought is because we say we can't understand it, well, then we're not responsible for it. Because we say that I don't, I don't understand what the Bible means, or I don't understand what it says, well, then I'm, I'm not under its authority, and I don't have to answer to it, and I don't have to answer for it. And, and they treated it like just this excuse, kind of like this get-out-of-jail-free card. Right? I don't understand it, so I'm not responsible. You can't hold me accountable for it. And, and that's, that's what they were doing in Isaiah's day, and the Lord is warning them that you're still going to be judged. It's just an excuse. There's still a judgment. Look at, look at verse 13. Therefore the Lord said, Inasmuch as these people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips, that they have removed their hearts far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the commandment of men. They honor God with their mouths, but the Lord says their hearts are far from me. You know, it's easy to say, I love God or I love Jesus. And your heart, you can say that, and your heart's a million miles away from him. And that's what they were doing. It was just this outward facade that their hearts were a million miles away. And God looks on the heart. God knows the heart. He sees the heart. 
And look what it says again in verse 13. God says, they have removed their hearts far from me. God didn't move away from them. They moved away from God. They moved their hearts away from God. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's the greatest commandment, to love God. And here God says of these people, they've moved their hearts away from God. And then look at the end of verse 13 again. And their fear toward me is taught by the commandment of men. They've replaced the word of God with the commandment of men. They've substituted their own teachings and their own traditions for the word of God and obedience to God. Now, Jesus quoted this passage in in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 15, if you want to turn there with me. Have you noticed I got all of your cross-references in Matthew tonight for you? Keeping it easy for you? I know some of you probably had a long day and trying to keep it as simple as possible. Turning just to Matthew, Matthew 15, verse 1. And then the scribes and Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. They had this tradition, a man-made tradition, that you were to wash your hands a certain way, pouring the water a certain way on your hands before you ate a meal. So it's not that they didn't wash their hands at all, like they're uh, unclean or whatever, but they're not following the ceremonial washing. And he answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? See, they, they, they hold their traditions, their man-made rules, at a higher level than the Word of God and the commands of God. For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father or mother, Whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to God, then he need not honor his father or mother, Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. So the word of God commands us to honor our parents, honor your father and your mother. And and the idea here is, it means take care of them in their old age. But they had this man-made rule, this loophole that they had created, that if you just say that your, your wealth is dedicated to God as a gift for God, that doesn't mean you actually have to give it to God. You just have to say that you've designated it as a gift for God. Then you can tell your parents, hey, I'd I'd love to take care of you, but I've already dedicated all of my wealth to God, and so I don't have any money to take care of you. And so it was a little loophole you could use to get out of taking care of your parents in their old age. And he says here, you've made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition." And look at verse 7. He calls them hypocrites. The word hypocrites means actors. You're acting spiritual. You're acting religious. You're acting godly. But you're not. Well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, 
teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And when he had called the multitudes to himself, he said to them, Hear and understand, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. Then his disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? (laughs) But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. He says, They're not of God. They're not of God. They're going to be uprooted. They're going to be judged. And he quotes from Isaiah here uh, in verses 8 and 9, that same verse here. These people draw near to me with their mouth. They honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And their worship is vain. It's empty. It's meaningless. And they teach as doctrine the commands of men instead of the commands of God. And so going back to Isaiah chapter 29, pick it up in verse 14. Therefore, behold, I will again do a marvelous work among this people, a marvelous work and a wonder for the wisdom of their wise men shall perish and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hidden. They were looking to human wisdom. Instead of the wisdom of God, they had rejected God's wisdom from man's wisdom. And God says to them, if you want to reject my wisdom, that's fine. You can reject my wisdom. But then he warns them and says, just know that the wisdom of man is going to fail you. The wisdom of man is not going to work out. You can trust it if you want, but it's not going to work. Now, verse 15. Woe to those. So here's our second woe of the chapter. Woe to those who seek deep to hide their counsel far from the Lord and their works are in the dark, and they say, who sees us, and who knows us? He says, woe to you if you try to hide things from the Lord. Woe to you if you try to hide your sin. The Bible says nothing is hidden from God's sight. There's no such thing. Listen, there's no such thing as secret sin. There's no such thing. You can keep it secret from People, but you can't keep it secret from God. He sees everything and he knows everything. And it's funny how, uh, how we think that we can hide our sin. You know, and it really, it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. It goes back to Adam and Eve. You remember when they sinned, what do they do? They, they sewed fig leaves together to cover their nakedness. When we were in Israel, you remember, we were able to touch some fig leaves. Uh, fig leaves are like sandpaper. Uh, and so to wear... You know, underwear made out of fig leaves is pretty uncomfortable, I would imagine. And that's the point. You try to cover your sin, it's very uncomfortable living. And they tried to cover their nakedness. And then what does it say? They hid from God in the garden. They're the only two people on the face of the earth. And they're going to try to hide from God. You know, and try to just blend in with the fig trees or whatever in the garden. You can't hide from God. You can't, but we try, we do. That's, that's, our, that's our natural response is to hide our sin. That's, that's our sin nature that we inherited from Adam. Our natural response is to try to hide it from him, but you can't hide from God. You know, it's better to walk in the light with God and just confess your sin. The Bible tells us when we walk in the light that his blood, the blood of Jesus continually cleanses us of our sins. In Proverbs chapter 28, it says, He who covers his sins will not prosper. You're just not going to prosper. 
And I love verse 16 here. Look at verse 16. In, in verse 15, they say, you know, well, well, no one knows. No one can see us. No one knows what we're doing. No one can see what we're doing. And then in verse 16, God says, surely you have things turned around. <laughs> God says, you, you, you have things turned around, if that's what you think. A New Living Translation says, how foolish can you be if you think no one sees you? And you think no one knows. How foolish can you be? Shall the potter be esteemed as the clay? For shall the thing made say of him who made it, he didn't make me. Or shall the thing formed say of him who formed it, he has no understanding. Verse 16 is saying, you're not smarter than your creator. (laughs) You're not going to outsmart your creator. You're not going to fool God. You can't outsmart him. Now, there's something that is subtle here in the passage in verse 16 that I don't want you to miss. When man rejects God's word as his authority, that leads to the acceptance of sin, verse 15, and eventually it leads to rejecting the existence of God as man's creator. You look what they say at the end of verse 16. He didn't make me. God didn't make me. So there's a progression here where they reject the authority of God's word and that leads to the acceptance of sin and that leads to rejecting God as man's creator. That's how you end up at evolution. God didn't make me. I evolved. Well, if you walk that back, you're going to have at some point a rejection of the word of God as the authority And then at some point, you're going to have just the acceptance of of sin. And then you're going to have, God didn't make me. I don't have a creator. I evolved. And and that's that's the progression you have here. That's what's happening in Israel. And so we come all the way through up to verse 17 with all of this woe and all of this warning and all of this judgment. And just like we've seen elsewhere in in the letter that Isaiah wrote, Uh, When Isaiah talks about judgment like this, it's like Isaiah can only talk about it for so long, and then he's got to change the subject. And he's got to talk about something a little bit more upbeat. And so at the end of the chapter, beginning in verse 17, he starts talking about the kingdom age when Jesus Christ returns and establishes his kingdom here on earth. It's almost like he's saying, okay, that's enough about judgment. Let's talk about something good when Jesus comes back. Let me tell you, let me talk to you about what that's going to be like. And so verse 17 It is not yet a very little while till Lebanon shall be turned into a fruitful field and the fruitful field be esteemed as a forest. Looking ahead now to the kingdom age, he's talking about how the earth will be redeemed and it will be restored and fruitful again. Verse 18, in that day, the deaf shall hear the words of the book and the eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity And out of darkness, there won't be spiritual blindness and spiritual deafness in the kingdom age. They'll hear the words of the book. They'll receive what it says. They'll be under its authority during the kingdom age. No blindness, no uh, uh, spiritual stupor during the kingdom age. Verse 19, the humble also shall increase their joy in the Lord and the poor among men shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. That's a messianic title, speaking of Jesus. 
For the terrible one is brought to nothing. The scornful one is consumed. The enemies of God will be judged. All who watch for iniquity are cut off. Those who watch for iniquity, they're looking for an opportunity to sin. They're going to be cut off. Now look at verse 21. Who make a man an offender by a word and lay a snare for him who reproves in the gate and turns aside the just by an empty word. It's talking about here in verse 21, those who make a righteous person, uh, they make him out to be guilty with false accusations and false stories. Uh, The New Living Translation says, who tell lies to destroy the innocent. They ruin people's reputation with lies. They were doing that in Isaiah's day. They're still doing that today. There's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new under the sun. Verse 22, Therefore thus says the Lord who redeemed Abraham concerning the house of Jacob, Jacob shall not now be ashamed, nor shall his face now grow pale. During the kingdom age, the children of Israel will no longer be ashamed their face will, will not grow pale, meaning the, the blood's not going to drain out of their face. They're, they're never going to be threatened by an enemy invading their land again where they're just struck with, with fear. It's not going to happen during the kingdom age. They don't have to worry about that. But when he sees his children, the works of my hands in his midst, they will hallow my name and hallow the Holy One of Jacob. Again, the Holy One is a messianic title during the kingdom age even the jewish people will recognize jesus christ as their holy one the messiah and worship him and they will hallow his name they will fear the god of israel the same these are the same you know the descendants of the same people that that the lord is saying woe to in these chapters he's saying during the kingdom age they're going to hallow his name verse 24 These also who erred in spirit, who went the wrong direction, will come to understanding, and those who complained will learn doctrine. Those who complained, remember in chapter 30, verse 10, those who are going to say to the prophets, don't teach us right things. We don't want to hear right things. Tell us smooth things. During the kingdom age, they're going to hear and they're going to learn Doctrine. They're going to learn the Word of God. During the kingdom age, God's Word will be known and God's Word will be exalted through the whole earth. He asked me how I know, and I say, Bring truer than the finest crystal. That's all we have time for today on Ring of Truth. We're so glad you joined Pastor Dan Sexton for his verse by verse study through the book of Isaiah. This extraordinary book is quoted in the New Testament more than any other Old Testament book. Plus, it provides us with the most comprehensive picture of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. It includes the full scope of His life and ministry, from His virgin birth to His sacrificial death to His resurrection and second coming in glory. If you'd like a copy of today's message, you'll be able to find it on our website, calvaryec.com. You can also subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an edition of this program. That website again is calvaryec.com. We'd love to hear from you too and learn how Ring of Truth has blessed you. 
please take some time soon to give us a call at 410-491-4592. Let us know how God is working in your life and if there's anything that we can be praying for during this study of Isaiah. That number again is 410-491-4592. With that, our time with you has come to an end. We pray the Lord bless and keep you and that your faith is deepened with each passing day. Tune in next time to continue our study of the book of Isaiah right here on Ring of Truth.